be seated. Good morning. Welcome you here to New Hope. My name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. We'd love to get to know you and uh, to hear your story a little bit. And, uh, today we're finishing up um, a decently long sermon series in the book of Acts. We started the first Sunday of January. And so we've been journeying through the book of Acts and it is uh, landing today. We're going to finish uh, studying the book of Acts today. And next week we'll look at uh, a continuation a little bit of uh, some of the things Paul, the apostle, would have told us to think about as we are invited into the continued story. And then we'll do a sermon series um, in December uh, leading up to Christmas out of John chapter 1. And we're going to break that into four pieces and look at uh, what John teaches us about Christmas. And I would encourage you this way. We're going to have these scripture cards come out here in the next couple weeks. But if you want to cheat a little bit and get ahead of the game, we're going to be encouraging families to memorize John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 to help us out a little bit at Christmas Eve. And so if you and your family want to start memorizing that passage, um, you can go ahead and do that. That would be a wonderful thing. While you're turning to Acts chapter 28 to finish up this series, I want to give you a little bit of an update. We realized that it's been a little while since we gave a church update. And here at New Hope, I don't know your church experience, but I can tell you here, we, we try really, really hard, and we're imperfect. We've jokingly told people, if we haven't disappointed you, give us a little bit of time. Uh, we will do that because we're just people. But we do view this as a church family, and families that are healthy have healthy communication. And so we want to give you a little bit of an update on some things here at the church, just at the front end of the sermon here, particularly a financial update and some of the things that have been taking place here uh, during the pandemic. Um, but before we get to the financial update, I actually have one more with you. Um, I, we are very intentional with family ministry here at the church. And when I say that, I mean this. We put a lot of energy into the children's ministry and the student ministry. We want them to be really good. We want to be discipling your children, not babysitting them while you're in here. And so we want them to hear the gospel, to be trained up with the gospel, so that when you guys go home, now you're at home being able to do family discipleship a little bit easier because of what you were equipped with here. And we have a children's minister on our staff. Her name is Jody, and she's done a wonderful job forming a team environment with her volunteers in the back. They're back there working right now. One of the things we've noticed, though, is that a lot of the volunteers are not quite ready to be back here at church uh, meeting in person. And we are trying so hard to protect our ability to meet in person. And so we need some volunteers in the back. And so this is my request of you. Would you pray? I'm not asking you to go and sign up today, but would you pray? Just ask, Lord, do you want us to serve back there? There's a process to go through. There's security measures, all that. But we need some people to be back there that say, hey, I'll help for a little while. This is not a lifelong commitment. Uh, you just, I'll help get you through this as uh, more and more families are starting to show up. And so would you pray about jumping in and volunteering with our children's ministry? You can stop by Kids uh, Central right out here in the lobby and find out everything you need to take a next step in getting involved in serving back there. Now, financial update. Our financial calendar or our fiscal year runs from December the 1st here at New Hope through November the 30th. I know that's weird. That's just the way it's been for, for quite some time. It works really well here at the church. So at the end, this time last year, at the end of 2019, we set our ministry budget, which includes, a ministry budget includes our operating costs for the facilities. Uh, it includes staff salaries. It includes our missions budget, which is 18 to 20% of everything that's given around here. And we celebrated that last week with Mission Sunday. It includes ministry budgets in general, everything that we do here as a church. All of that's included in it. And last year, we set that budget as an overall number at $1,405,000. And then a pandemic hit in March. 
And we made a decision to be as conservative as possible in spending, which we do every year, but we did so even more this year, given what was going on. And we wanted to track what the pandemic was doing and how it might affect the church. And so we were, we're always transparent with finances. And so we were just, hey, let's be pretty conservative uh, with this and lower spending as much as we can. Talked to many friends, two in particular in ministry, that had to make some brutally hard choices because giving dropped, understandably so, during the pandemic which makes me very grateful, humbled and grateful and blessed to tell you that because of your continued faithfulness in giving, as of last weekend, our church family has given $1,541,408. That is 109.7% of our needed budget for 2020. Praise God. Yeah. Now, you might be thinking, if we're at 109.7%, why do we need to continue to tithe? Or... What are we going to do with that extra giving? Well, we still carry some debt from our REACH initiative back in 2016. And if you're unfamiliar with that, I'll give you a quick synopsis. In 2016, as a church family, we decided that the building needed to be updated. And if you've been at New Hope prior to that, you know it has, in fact, been updated. It is a different-looking place. Uh, Things were updated, enhanced. The ability to do better ministry took place. Now, that project, including operating budget and the facility enhancement, back in 2016 was a $4.2 million project. It's $4.2 million as a church family our size. That was a big undertaking. But again, because of your continued faithfulness in giving, just a couple years later, we have that debt down to $692,065.33. Again, praise God. But we want that number to be zero in all transparency. Yes, we do want it to be zero because we don't want debt. We're not trying to hide that. That is absolutely one of the goals. But more important, and I say this with a genuine conviction, more important than that is we want to be prepared as we pray about our future for where God might be leading us. And so eliminating that debt as fast as possible gives us the ability to do that. And so that's our goal. And so let's continue as a church family, again, with transparency to continue to be faithful in giving as you already have been. And can I just pause just for a second and, and say thank you for that, really. As, as the, the, a preacher, as a minister here on staff, it like blows me away how available and open-handed this church has been. It's unbelievable to me. Just three weeks ago, we brought you uh, a need. And we said we wanted to partner with one of our mission partners, which is uh, called the Caring Center in Lebanon that serves Boone County. And we wanted to be able to provide Thanksgiving meals for 100 families in Boone County that aren't going to be able to have Thanksgiving. And the cost of that would have been $5,000. And we said, hey, above your tithe, above your giving, can we as a church family meet that need of $5,000? And in just three weeks, I'm telling you, we didn't hit the $5,000 mark. But instead, we went to $8,350 in three weeks. And we are going to deliver that check. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to deliver that check this week. And 167 families who weren't going to be able to have Thanksgiving are going to be able to have Thanksgiving because you've been generous. Thank you, really. But finances aren't the only thing that's been happening during this pandemic. Each week, we've been able to use our building to meet the needs of people in our community. And I would say in my time at New Hope, I've been here almost 14 years or 13 years, and I would say more than it's ever been used. The building is being used. And now you may not know that, so let me give you a couple of things. During this pandemic, our building has been able to be used to provide workspace to six different people who needed a place to be able to work because their offices were shut down. They were able to come in here and use the internet and continue to work. We've continued to partner with Thrive Point Counseling who have their offices here in our building. In fact, the third counselor was brought on to meet the emotional needs of people that are suffering 
in our community. They're able to come here and get Christ-centered counseling. We were able to host the Indianapolis Children's Choir here at New Hope. We've had multiple Bible studies meet during the pandemic. We've hosted a regional men's ministry called Fight Club that connects men to other men to form Christ-centered accountability in their fight against pornography. We've had funerals for many hurting families. We are currently hosting a small church on Sunday afternoons because their normal meeting place had to shut down. And so another church meets in here, a smaller congregation, on Sunday afternoons because they needed a place to meet. And we are currently working with a small private school whose normal building had to shut down so that a portion of their students can finish out this semester with in-person learning, and they'll begin meeting here soon in our building as well. And the list goes on and on and on. And I realize that many of you may not have known that all of this was taking place, but please know this, that COVID has not stopped this church from serving our community. It hasn't. So thank you. Thank you for being generous and faithful. It's been a hard year, but we serve a really good God. Let's pray, and we'll finish up the book of Acts. Father, thank you for this church family. Yeah, this really is a family, and we thank you for that. We're all part of this. And it's your story that's being told. It's not about us. It's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but it's your story. You're writing it, and you've invited us to be a part of it, and we thank you for that. Father, would you bring that particular lesson home, that this is your story, as we look to finish this study we've been in. Would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say? We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the fall of 2007, my wife and I moved from South Florida up to a small town here in the Midwest so that I could go to seminary and uh, study and do grad school. And uh, culture shock, to say the least. This small town is still small and doesn't have... A lot of things for a, uh, we'd been married a year and a half. And, and so didn't have a lot for us to go and do that would have been fun for us to do. And so we resorted to what couples do when there's not a lot of fun to do. And we watched shows and ate pizza rolls um, when I wasn't in class and uh, wasn't trying to work. And so I will tell you this, don't judge us. She was pregnant with our first child. I was taking a whole lot of classes and pizza rolls were comfort food. Okay, and so I don't want to hear anything, about, and I definitely don't want you buying a bunch of bags of pizza rolls and having them show up on my desk, all right? Don't do that, okay? But we, we would, one of the shows that we got hooked on while we were living there um, in, in school uh, was notorious uh, for having cliffhangers at the end of every episode. And, and so I don't know if you knew this, but 2007 is also the year that Netflix started streaming uh, a lot of their videos, but I didn't know that. In fact, I didn't know that until three days ago when I Googled it. Um, and so at the time, we definitely didn't know Netflix, and we definitely weren't going to pay for it anyway, all right? We were just in college and weren't going to pay for Netflix. So we had to go to this place called Family Video, and uh, we would rent seasons of the show that we wanted to watch, and we would come home, and we would watch it until we caught up. And then it was the worst because we had to actually watch it on broadcast television each week, and you could not watch what happened next. You had to wait. And the show we were watching was a show called 24. Many of you may have seen it. At the end of every episode, you're left wondering what's going to happen. And we would lose our minds. Like, what is going to happen next in this next episode? I got to know what's going to happen. And now we're watching it week to week on TV, just speculating and wondering. It was miserable. It was miserable. It was horrible. It was, a, it was a really bad way to live. In fact, our culture has fixed that problem because 13 years later, we have the opposite problem. Nobody waits for anything on TV, especially. You just binge watch the whole season in one night, right? Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, too. And I feel guilty. I want you to feel guilty about this, all right? <laughs> right? 
that episode of Lost or Stranger Things or Jack Ryan ends, and what do you do? You, you pause for a minute, you make eye contact, you look at the clock, you look at each other, and you say, everybody says the same thing, one more episode. <laughs> like One more episode, we can, we can stay up. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just watch one more episode, and we'll get through this, right? Cliffhangers make us crazy. But at the same time, they draw us in. They engage our minds and our imagination, right? We want to know the ending, but until we get to the ending, we can dream a little bit. We can speculate about what's happening. We can predict. The same thing's true. You come across certain books in the Bible. There are really two books that stand out to me in your Bible that have these endings that are seemingly so insufficient. It's like, I want to know what happened, and you kind of left me hanging. There's a cliffhanger, and I don't know how to resolve this in my mind. But one of them happens to be the book that Ryan preached Mission Sunday from last week, the book of Jonah. If you remember this, the book of Jonah ends in such a weird way where God gives Jonah a scolding for not having mercy and patience with people that have messed up. And Jonah has no patience for people that have made mistakes. And so God causes this plant to grow near him. And he admires the plant and it shades him from the sun and he gets nourishment. But then God kills the plant and Jonah gets irate. He gets angry about the plant dying. I like Eugene Peterson's translation of the book of, of Jonah here that at the end. Here's how he describes this book ending. It says this. God says this to Jonah. What, what's this, Jonah? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure, this big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong? to say nothing of all the innocent animals. And then it ends. <laughs> That's it. Like, what? You just scolded him and now the book's over? Like, now it's, it's done? Like, what an insufficient ending. I want to know what happened next. I want to know what Jonah did. Did he change his heart? Did he change his mind? Did he start being patient with people? Did he try to run away from God again? And this time, what creature ate him? Like, I want to know, like, what happened next in the life of Jonah? And we're not told. Like, we get nothing. And then you realize that the insufficient ending is exactly the way God wanted the story to be told. Because we as readers are left to wrestle with our own story. That's not the point. Please hear me. The point of any of these stories is the glory of God. And I really genuinely mean that. You're going to see that in the book of Acts. But you're still left to wrestle a little bit. What about me? Do I have patience with people who make mistakes? Do I desire to show mercy to people who are caught up in their sin and not making the right choices? See, we learn from and we're challenged by the ending of these stories that are not ours to tell to consider the story that is ours to tell. And that mainly is what are we going to do with the truth that God has given us? See, last couple of months we've been journeying with, the, with Luke as he told the story of the Apostle Paul. And he's taken the whole second half of the book of Acts to kind of detail Paul's story for us. And today we see this abrupt ending to the book of Acts. It just kind of ends and you're just like, wait, what in the world is going on? But before we get to the ending, it's, it's really important to get a grip on the whole story. So today, if you have your Bible, you're going to be flipping a little bit, okay? This, the passages will show up on the screen. Here's why I think this is really important. It's easy. It's not easy. Sometimes it's tempting to get up and just say, okay, I got to keep everybody captivated and tell good jokes. And, but at the same time, like, I want you to understand your Bible. But that's really a goal here. And so we're going to take a journey through the book of Acts real brief. We're going to do a little survey and we're going to get at what was Luke really trying to do when he told the story. Because you remember, he's just writing down a history book for his friend Theophilus. He's got a buddy who doesn't know about the things of Jesus and what took place after Jesus resurrected. And so he sits down and he says, I'm going to write a detailed history for you, Theophilus. 
so that you can have confidence in knowing that what took place really happened. And that's what he does. So they sit down and he writes it out and he sends it. And right away in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, he gives you the summary statement of the whole book. It is, it is the contextual centerpiece of the book of Acts. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, in just a little while, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And when that happens, you're going to have the power then to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what he's saying is, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then this can spread. But until then, wait. Wait. You can't build this kingdom in your power. You need the Holy Spirit. And that's what he does. And I think Luke put that there the way that he did because what's going to happen next is he starts to tell these detailed accounts of the people of God doing the work of God and human nature is to get caught up in these little mini biographies when in fact they're not biographies at all. He's telling a bigger story and our tendency is to get caught up in the trees and we miss the forest. We get caught up in the trees, we miss the forest. It's a tendency of human nature all along, all through history. We get captivated by the stories of other people. And what happens is we begin to compare ourselves to them or we begin to envy them or we begin to make unrealistic expectations that we can't really live up to, but we're watching them live and we're thinking, man, that's the way to do it. I want to be more like them. And if ever a period in history where envy or jealousy or comparison or unrealistic expectations were being made, is it not now? With the advancement and the good that has come from technology has also come this speed at which we get information that can oftentimes be detrimental to our ability to slow down enough to see what God might be doing around us. Social media does this. It does. I mean, study after study is coming out detailing the way that social media is leading people to depression because they're comparing themselves and they're envying and they're, and they're being jealous or they're creating these expectations of how they're supposed to live as a husband or a wife or a dad or a child. And all of a sudden, you've got these expectations that you can't live up to. Well, I think all the way back here that Luke had that same thing in mind and he knew that the human condition leads us to comparison. And so as he wrote through the book of Acts, he gave us these little pauses that we're gonna look at. Let me illustrate for you this way. Let me give you a little bit. Every once in a while in a sermon, <laughs> every once in a while, I hope it's more than that, uh, you'll hear something that you'll be wrestling with throughout the week. And it's true for everybody. It's true for me. So two weeks ago, David, my father-in-law preached. And uh, he preached a, a sermon in the book of Acts and he posed this question in the sermon that I've not had a day go by that I haven't wrestled with. And the question is very simple but it had a pretty profound impact on me. The question he asked is this, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know him? And so I'm driving just this past week to Southern Indiana to go hunting with a friend. And as I'm driving, I'm by myself and just listening to music and uh, singing, which I will never do for you, but I was singing alone in the car and I started noticing things around me. On the side of the road, there's some of the damage from some of the windstorms that we've had lately. I don't know if you've picked up on some, but there were a lot of trees that were tipped over. Maybe some of you on your properties have had to do some cleanup because of that. But I noticed some of these trees weren't small. They were big, huge trees that were tipped over because the wind had blown. And when you see this, a lot of times you'll see the entire root system gets pulled up out of the ground with the tree as it falls. And what I noticed is tree after tree, I noticed that these trees, these big trees had really shallow roots really shallow roots. And when the wind was strong enough, it just pulled them all up out of the ground. And you're thinking, man, the roots didn't get real deep. 
And I began to think, I mean, that's it. That's, that's what David was getting at with that question. We can build a life that appears as though we really know Jesus. When all we've done is try to compare our lives to other people, live up to a standard that we shouldn't even be trying to live up to, do things to try to make ourselves feel better, and the tree looks really big, but the roots are really shallow. And I've watched more people during a pandemic, in ministry and outside of ministry, topple over when difficulty hit. And that question just resonates in my head. Did you really know him? Do you really know him? Are the roots getting deeper to withstand the wind that pushes against right, the kingdom that we've been building? And I think Luke would have, I think you can make a case that Luke would have had this in mind as he's writing this very similar thing because the way he structured the entire book of Acts. And so here we go. We're going to jump through the book of Acts and we're going to see what Luke does here. We're going to watch kind of the way that this takes place as he pauses and he realizes, wait a second, you might be caught up, Theophilus, in thinking this is about who I'm talking about, but it's not. It's about bigger than that. The first one comes in chapter 6, verse 7. The first summary statement, this pause, comes in chapter 6, verse 7, where Luke will write these words. He says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, you're reading that, you're thinking, okay, how's that a summary statement? This comes in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is, I don't, this, I went to Bible college, math was not, it comes after chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2 is Pentecost, where Peter stands up and preaches this incredible sermon where 3,000 people are baptized in the Christ. Comes after chapter 3, where Peter and John are walking into the temple, and they miraculously heal this man who had been crippled from birth and they heal him and he's able to get up and walk because of the power that was permeating through them. It's chapter four where Peter gets arrested and miraculously delivered from prison to go and gather with his friends again. It's after chapter five where Peter has to step into one of the worst leadership decisions that had to be made with Ananias and Sapphira who were stealing money from the church and had to deal with that situation and the cleanup that came after it. And you might be tempted to think, wow, look at Peter. That's the kind of leader you got to be. He stands up with boldness and he preaches and he leads through difficult situations and he brings help and healing to other people. And then Luke pauses and says, Theophilus, be careful. You might be tempted to think this is about Peter. Notice in his summary statement, he does not say, and the works of Peter spread. He says, no, it's the word of God that spread. You will be my witnesses. Why? How? It's secondary to the power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Secondary to the power is being a witness. Yeah, you can be a witness, but it's secondary to where the power comes from. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and that will enable you to be my witnesses. The second summary statement comes in chapter 9, verse 31. And Luke writes these words. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, remember, Acts chapter 1, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in what? The fear of the Lord, not the apostles, and encouraged by who? The Holy Spirit. The church increased in numbers. This comes after Stephen courageously stands up and preaches the gospel when his life is threatened to the point where his life is taken from him. And that courage he displays, you're reading it and you're thinking, man, in that moment, I'd want that kind of faith to be able to stand up and face death and not be scared. It comes after chapter 8 where Philip's walking down the road and evangelizes a guy coming by on a chariot and ends up baptizing him in a giant puddle on the side of the road comes after chapter 9 and the dramatic conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus where he becomes a Christian. And you begin to think, look at the lives of all of these people. And then Luke pauses. Theophilus, you might be tempted to think that this is about them. 
And if they all had Instagram accounts, you'd be liking every post that they put up, and you'd be thinking, man, that's what it looks like to be a church. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. He says, stop. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that was working here. The next one comes in chapter 12, verse 24, where Luke writes these words, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish, not the works of the apostles. It was the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that began to spread and to flourish. And this growth comes after Peter stands in the house of Cornelius and brings the message that affected the entire history of the human race. And is the reason that we're sitting here today is because the gospel message was brought to the Gentiles because Peter stood in there and shared the good news with them. And you're thinking, man, Peter, could you? Like, that's incredible. You changed the very course of human history. And Luke's saying, no, he didn't. God did. Through the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't even want to go. The Holy Spirit led him there. It's this pause, a strategic pause. Next one comes in verse, chapter 16, verse 5. God's word is spreading through Asia Minor, and Paul is about to get what's known as the Macedonian call, where he's going to be called to take the gospel from Asia all through Europe, and the gospel is going to continue to spread over and over again. And here's what Luke writes. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. They were strengthened in the faith of God, in faith of the Lord Jesus, in faith because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and all around them. And he pauses once again to tell them. And so in chapter 16, verse 6, all the way to chapter 19, verse 20, God's word spreads through Europe with incredible power and speed, which leads us to chapter 19, verse 20, which is another summary statement. And I know this is a lot to take in, but I want you to see through the whole book what Luke's been doing, saying, stop, don't make heroes out of men. Stop. Stop making heroes out of men. This is not the work of man. In chapter 19, verse 20, he says this, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely, and it grew in power. Now, this is coming after what took place in the city of Ephesus. An entire city's socioeconomic status was turned over and upside down because of the gospel. It's one of the most fascinating reads in all of literature is Acts chapter 19, where the gospel comes to Ephesus. And it so transforms the lives of people that they do a giant book burning. They get all of the books that related to things that were against the gospel. They bring them out into the middle of the city and they set them on fire and they burn them, a giant bonfire for, for false teaching. We could probably use that, I don't know, now. <laughs> right? An incredible story of how demons are, are confronting false teachers and those false teachers are having to run away naked and bloody. Don't tell me the Bible's boring, right? Acts chapter 19, incredible transformation takes place. And you're left thinking the apostle Paul was touching people and healing them and his teaching transformed the whole city. And Luke says, stop. No, it didn't. Stop making a hero out of a man. Theophilus, this was not the work of Paul. This was the work of God. And from here, Paul gets arrested. In the last few weeks, we've journeyed one trial after another trial after another trial. Eventually leading him to Rome where the last summary statement that Luke gives us is given at the very end of the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 28, and it's verses 30 and 31, and here's what he says. For two whole years now, he finally makes his way to Rome. For two whole years, he stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And there's our cliffhanger. I mean, I don't know about you, but we've been journeying through all these adventures and suffering and victories and trials and questioning and I want to know what happened to Paul like what are you kidding me are you serious Luke you're going to end on that note we've been journeying with this guy for weeks I've been invested in this 
I'll stay up late. I want one more episode. Are you kidding me? Like, give me what happened to this guy. And the more you wrestle with it, the more you begin to realize it's a perfect ending. Not uncommon in ancient literature to end on a cliffhanger. We just don't like it. He tells us a little bit of detail. He tells us Luke that uh, Luke tells us that when Paul got to Rome, he was put up on house arrest, which was a lot more comfortable than the dungeon he slept in in Philippi. And he's put up on house arrest. This would have been like an open air home he would have stayed in, and people would have been able to come and go as they pleased. It was a really, really lighthearted house arrest. So he stayed in this home, and anyone that wanted to come and talk to him, he would welcome them in. And here's what I love about it: as they came and they put their feet under his table, he would just begin to talk to them like a real person. And most of the people that were intrigued enough to come in and sit with him were Jewish people that were struggling with this gospel message. It would be similar to many people in our world today. I just don't know about Jesus. I just don't know about Christianity. And Paul would say, hey, let me make you a meal. Come sit at my table. And he just has a conversation with them. And I love it. The conversation is not talking about himself. Paul rarely ever talked about himself. And you're like, wait, wait a second. Now, he talks about himself in these letters. Every single time Paul mentions his own story, it is only when it is strategically, perfectly placed to help someone else. He never bragged about himself unless it was going to help somebody else. So when you were sitting at his table, he was going to talk about one thing and one thing only. Can you guess what it might have been? Begins with a J, ends in Jesus. <laughs> Nailed it. That's what he's going to talk about at the table. That's it. You're in my house. We talk about Jesus. We don't talk about what I've accomplished and what I've done and where I've been and who I've been around and how many times I was beaten and shipwrecked and all that stuff. We're going to talk about Jesus and where you're at with him. In fact, Paul gives us a little indication as to what he might have talked about in verse 25. Look what he says. The Holy Spirit spoke truth to your ancestors when he said through the prophet Isaiah, not what he said through me, not what I'm telling you, what you need to know. You said, hey, you, you kind of already know a lot about God. Let me tell you. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you guys to know, this is what he told people, I want you guys to know that salvation is now available to the Gentiles and they're ready to listen. They're ready to listen. He's telling these Jewish people, you've built your life on your accomplishments, on your religious activity. You've worked so hard to be good enough in God's eyes. You've built a really big tree, but the roots are shallow and the storm is coming. It can't withstand what you're up against. You can't save yourself. No amount of good effort, no amount of great motivation, no amount of good intention is going to get you to be seen in God's eyes as holy. Only Jesus can do that. And he would tell them, when you get to be building your own life on everything that you're able to do, when you put all of your energy into building your own life and your own effort, and Christians, please be aware, you are susceptible to this just as much as the next person. To turn your faith into your ability to build a big life that is, appears to be a really big, healthy tree to everybody else who's looking. When you live that way, he says, it hardens your heart to the point that you don't even want to hear the good news anymore. The good news that you don't have to live that way. There is freedom in forgetting about yourself and allowing God to work. In fact, the only way the roots to get deep is to allow the Holy Spirit to grow and to work. But they didn't have eyes to see and they didn't have ears to hear. They wanted to write their own ending to their own story. And many of us are tempted to do the same thing. My kids watch this show on Netflix sometimes called uh, You Versus Wild with Bear Grylls. Maybe you've seen this. And it's the Bear Grylls, the adventure guy, and he goes on all these adventures. But this unique part of this show 
is that with your remote, you get to make decisions for him as he's going on the journey, right? And so it's like, hey, should I eat this? Should I go over here? Should I swing across this canyon? Like, should I do these things? And my kids are always like, yes, yes. my kids kill him every episode, like every single time. Like, but which is what happens when we try to write our own story. Like, I want to write my own ending. The book of Acts ends the way it does, not so that you can speculate and try to write your own ending to it. It has more of a to-be-continued sense to it. It's, it's not so much an invitation to write an ending as it is an invitation to be a part of the continued story. It's a, it's a time where you get to pause and say, where's my life at? What's my story headed toward? And to be a part of his story is to really forget about your own. And just embrace all that he's doing in and around you and say, you know what? I want my life to be about something bigger than me. I've tried so hard and I put so much effort into building this big, awesome, good life so people can look at it and see that I've done really, really well. And it's not as satisfying as I thought it was. I'm ready to let my story be a part of a bigger story of what God's doing in and around the world. That's the invitation. As a pastor, and I say that lightly because a lot of people that get to preach, they're leaders. They want to lead and they want to be, and and a lot of attention is drawn to a lot of people around our country. And I just think, man, if we would take a, a page out of Paul's book, it would be just forget about yourself and just elevate him. Just elevate him. As a pastor, I think I'm always going to struggle with cliffhangers because I love people. So each time I meet somebody, I can almost feel what Paul felt when he wrote to the church at Corinth and when he said this, above everything else I've been through, the biggest struggle I have is dealing with the constant pressure of praying for the churches. So each time I meet somebody, one of the questions I have as I begin to pray for them is this, what are they going to do with Jesus? I want to know. I want to know. I want to know the end of that story. Man, I really want to know. What are you going to do with him? What decision are you going to make? Are you going to continue to walk toward death? Are you going to walk in life? Are you going to continue to uh, walk as a prodigal child? Are you going to come to your heavenly father and have an intimate relationship with him? I'm just on the edge of my seat, and I say it with all sincerity. Every time I'm around somebody and I get to be a pastor to people, I'm always wondering, are you going to choose what Jesus is calling you to, or are you not? But that's not my story to tell. If we were to pause in your story right now, if you're a believer or not a believer here, if we were to pause in your story right now, what would the pause say? We would write a little, up until this point in their life, it's been all about what they've accomplished. And it was all through their own power. They tried their hardest. They did their best. And the tree came tumbling down. Or would it say, no, they forgot about themselves became a part of a bigger story, and God worked in and through them to do some pretty incredible things. Would the pause in your story be about you or about him? It's not my story to tell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the invitation that you've extended to us to be a part of something bigger. Thank you for that, God. Many of us, we've struggled with that. We've put so much effort into building our lives because it looks good on Instagram or because it's what we've been told we need to do with our lives. That's what success looks like. And yet when we encounter the gospel, it kind of turns all of that upside down on its head because success in your kingdom is about forgetting about ourselves and focusing on you. 
So this week, God, as we journey through this week and we reflect on this incredible story in the book of Acts, would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you might be leading us to, to bring about change, the needed change, so we can become who you need us to be so that we're ready to do what you've called us to do. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. When Paul would sit down and write a letter to his friends, it's actually technically in Greco-Roman letter writing, which is more than you wanted to know, but uh, there is a category of writing called friendship. And the book of Philippians is categorized as a friendship letter. It is a letter of friendship that Paul wrote back to these friends he had lived with and ate meals with and spent time with. And as we prepare this week to put our feet under some tables and focus on what we're grateful for, I want to remind you that every single week we, in a way, put our feet under his table as we take communion. And as Paul wrote to his friends, he kind of gave them some directive on how to guide their thoughts and to think about their lives. And I want us to pause. We're going to be real quiet, super uncomfortable. We're going to be real quiet for about 60 seconds here as we prepare to take communion. I want these words to play in your mind. And maybe they're words you'll read at your table no matter how big or small it is this year, on Thursday. Words that might remind you of all that he's done in and around you and the promises that he's made to you. The words come from Philippians chapter 4, where Paul writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. He starts that way because nothing else he's about to say is possible unless you start here. I'm going to say it again because you need to start here. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Not possible if you're not rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Not possible if you're not focused on him. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, continually coming to him, with thanksgiving, being grateful. I heard somebody say this past week, gratitude begins where entitlement ends. The story's not about you. It's his story. With thanksgiving, prayers and petitions, make your requests known to God. And if you'll live that way, focused on his story and not your own, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's our prayer as we take communion this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of peace in these next few quiet moments. Would you protect our minds and hearts from the enemy and guide our thoughts to a place of gratitude for all that you've done in, through, and around us. And we ask you for this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said.